sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am talking to Sean Gonzalez about Spotlight, but before we dive into that, I want to let you all know that today's episode is sponsored by Grammarly, and Grammarly is an intelligent writing app. You can download their browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod. That link will be in the show notes though, so you don't need to worry about writing it down or anything like that. You can just scroll and click on it if your app lets you see show notes, that is. I know some don't, but it's definitely nice and easy to remember for all of you. And I'll tell you a bit more about Grammarly later on in the podcast. But right now, Sean, I know you wanted to talk about Spotlight and I just recently watched this on Netflix. So what was it about this movie that made you want to discuss it? So I think these styles of movies, and this is a kind of um, going along with the movie The Post that just came out. But I think this kind of investigative journalism style movie is something that's really interesting. And as someone that works in like the journalism field, it kind of brings out like a different like reality to what you do or what, what you do on a daily basis. But also like seeing these things brought to the public eye is such an interesting thing to put into a movie and it almost especially a lot with the sexual assault um, cases that are being brought out into the public it's very interesting to watch how teams and public relations handle these kind of issues because it seems like every single one does it wrong and then so knowing this movie and then in tandem the post covered these really big scary topics it's just super interesting and i think these movies are almost like documentaries but there's so much more like there's a realism and there's an emotional like grit you get with them. And that's, I don't know. I watched it and I was really impressed. Yeah. And spotlight is based on a true story, but it's not a documentary in your typical sense. It's not showing you the real people. It, it all of these parts are played by actors and actresses and we'll get into that more sh- shortly, but for anyone who hasn't seen this, first, we're going to spoil it after I give you this description of the film. So there's your warning. But the film follows the Boston Globe spotlight team, and they are the oldest continuously operating newspaper investigative journalist unit in the United States. So they definitely dive deep into their stories. I believe in the movie, they said, you know, it it can take them months to get one story out. And it's a small group of people. And Sean, like you said, being involved in journalism even though I never really consider myself a journalist because I'm writing about things like music and comic books and things like that so it's not nearly as important as the topics that Spotlight was tackling and in this instance they are investigating a child sex abuse case in the Boston area by a bunch of different priests So it's something that I feel like has a certain stigma to it because this seems to come up a lot, especially with churches. And then you have to, you know, try and separate church and state, which I don't know why people are still trying to separate that because it's been separated for a long time, but that's a different story. And I really want to talk to you, though, first about the casting because this film is just packed full of fantastic actors and actresses. Um, yeah, so we have Rachel McAdams, 
who plays Sasha, who's one of the investigative people. And her character really gripped me right, right away because I think she was someone that you could latch on to. Like, she's the one that starts, like, getting more and more involved. And she is the character that is in direct contact with more of the victims. So you get right. more of her side of the story immediately. And then they have Mark Ruffalo, who is portraying the person that actually wrote the article, Michael Resendez. And he's this kind of hot-headed, kind of like a an asshole. And they even mention that multiple times in the movie. It's like, well, be a prick about it. Like, do you. And so he's going through a t- different time with, uh, with his wife. And he is just very caught up in digging right to the deepest information. And he is constantly trying to get information out of everyone. And then there's Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton plays such a good, just like, boss man. And ever since I saw the movie Birdman, I've just paid more attention to Michael Keaton as this yeah. like, elderly <laughs> presence in every single film. He brings a lot of good qualities to movies because he is kind of a veteran and he knows how to portray this bigger-than-life role. So those are the main three, and they were absolutely fantastic, all three of them. Yeah, and then you have Liev Schreiber who comes in and he's sort of taking over at the newspaper. So he's sort of the big boss on campus now. And he is very monotone at times. He's just like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Okay, go do it. And it's a stark difference between the spotlight group because they are so passionate about the stories they're doing because they spend so much time on them whereas he's sort of dictating to them what he wants them to cover which has never been how spotlight worked so he's sort of throwing a wrench in their plans and you know in the end it does work out for the better but you know you have this new guy coming in and everyone's sort of not sure what exactly to expect and then he ends up having a good instinct about this case and investigative journalism article in general yeah and he was he was interesting too because he was also jewish so there was a immediate kind of tension between all right so why is a jewish person wanting to investigate the catholic church so difficult so it almost felt like it was like a a war between the religions kind of thing but it ended up not being that at all he just this person had seen something outside of the spectrum of the public that really brought was brought to life by Spotlight the further and further they went. Yeah, and two of the other main actors you have in this are John Slattery and Stanley Tucci. Both of them have been in a ton of things, and they're really great additions to sort of the core cast that they have. And one thing I want to note with Rachel McAdams, too, is that there aren't too many women in this movie, because if you think about the time... And when it takes place, you know, the the newsroom was still really dominated by men. And sort of there was this idea that maybe that's why she was the one who went and talked to the victims, because she could sort of put a nicer touch on things. And maybe it would be more comfortable for some of the victims to speak to her instead of just speaking to another guy about everything that went on. And you know, she really holds her own in the film, which I think makes her character more compelling, too. Yeah. And uh, it's just so funny to see John Slattery keep coming up in films and being, you know, this all out. I don't know. Every time I see John Slattery, I just imagine his character in Mad Men. He's just <laughs> so suave and cool. And even in this, he's pretty like suave. And he's got that like, kind of sardonic, 
tone to him every single time he talks. He's like, oh, why is this important? Why are you doing this? And it just reminds me of Mad Men, just like, get to the point. What's the sale? So it's a, it's a good good character and a good actor for it. Yeah, plus the entire cast just meshed well together, too, because it was very easy to see these people in these roles and how they all interacted together. It was very believable. And with this being based on a true story, that's something that's really crucial to nail when you're doing a movie like this. Yeah, especially on a topic that was, you know, pretty tough to really dissect, especially for the time frame that it happened. And all, you know, this again, it's a true story, but this happened in 2002 not five months after uh, 9-11. So it was definitely a really strange era in our history. Yeah, definitely. And another thing I want to talk about actually is the subject matter, because you have this topic that, like I said, you know, you sort of have the church and the state, and you're trying to figure out how exactly you can get access to the members of the church and do all of these things without one offending them and two making it seem like a witch hunt probably and like you said with Leah Schreiber's character being Jewish you know there's sort of this tension at the beginning when he's telling everyone to you know drop what they're doing and go work on this story so you have you know this sensitive subject and you know it's not something that anyone is ever really going to be comfortable just openly discussing. And we mentioned a little bit, you know, how all of this stuff is still relevant today, and especially in the entertainment industry now, too. Because all of these cases of sexual assault and everything are coming to light now, it's not necessarily something people are comfortable with. It's just they're not afraid to talk about it anymore. Yeah, and this was definitely one of the first instances that seemed to go public massively and very quickly. Um, it was it was definitely an interesting way that they found out more and more information, especially after calling in these people that had sent them information before, and they seemed kind of wacky. But I think they found more and more that they further they went, they could find you know very public records of priests being moved around a bunch, and then they started you know digging further than that. So it was definitely an interesting concept and definitely an interesting way to hide it from the church's perspective. Right. And it's it's crazy because, you know, it's not like the people that are in the entertainment industry, they can't hide behind, you know, their own, you know, following right. or their own religion they follow. It's definitely difficult in that sense, but for the church it was very special. Yeah, and if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And the thing with this story is yes, the story broke in 2002 and they really started investigating it before 9/11 happened, but the actual events and assaults occurred, you know, like starting in the 70s. So this was something that was ongoing for a very very long time and they had to figure out how to uncover all of that and how to convince people to come forward all of these years later. And, you know, there's obviously a statute on crimes. So, well, I should say there's a statute on crimes that aren't murder, basically. So you only have X amount of years where someone could be charged after molesting someone or sexually assaulting them. And 
you know, like today, even though for a lot of these women, that statute has passed, that time limitation has passed, it's still important to get all of the facts and, you know, get these people out of Hollywood. And the same can be said for the church. And, you know, they ended up finding, you know, like tons of priests who were guilty of this. And, you know, what did they have? Hundreds of priests in the Boston area, and it was like 80 or 90 who they could prove were guilty or something like that. Correct. Yeah. The movie goes on to say that about 6% of all um, priests in a community and city are basically were ones that were doing this. And then once the numbers came out, they guesstimated like 90. And I think they got like 78 or 80 something. But it was uh, definitely kind of, and even 6%, you say 6%. Well, that's, that's still like, I live in Denver, Colorado. There's 4 million people. Let's say there's however many priests, like 6% of that. That's still a lot. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think what they did well with this is they handled the subject matter in a way that wasn't, you know, brash or offensive to the victims. You know, they handled the story with as much care as they possibly could while still going at it as hard as they could, too. Yeah. And that's definitely um, writer and director Tom McCarthy, who is, you know, pretty, kept it pretty to the point. And even as I was researching, like, how accurate this was a lot of people came out and said no this was like completely like even the church was like this is pretty accurate we need to work on it and it's just incredible because tom mccarthy has also done um i'm pretty sure the wire and parts of law and order in boston public okay. so he's very good at handling these delicate situations even in like tv roles uh, movie roles i'm pretty sure he also wrote up which again just showcases how important and intelligent this guy is bringing in emotional gripping stories to subjects that aren't really like talked about. Yeah, and they definitely took their time with this too. It wasn't a film that felt rushed by any means. So they, you know, really got the story right and had a good pacing throughout the film too because, you know, the film's just over 2 hours and you know, sometimes you'll see a movie that's over two hours long and you're like, well, did this really need to be over two hours long? It could have been somewhere closer to like an hour and 30, an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. But this, it felt like they took all of the steps necessary to tell this story as accurately as possible. Yes. And the other writer that needs to be put, uh, talked about is Josh Singer. And so I mentioned The Post earlier, the movie that just came out. Josh Singer helped co-write this and The Post. So I think these, the people that handled this movie were the perfect ones to handle the content. And they did such a phenomenal job. And then obviously McCarthy went on to direct it and get a, a bunch of awards. But he directed, like, every time I see Mark Ruffalo now, I just imagine him as that, like, smug, hunched shoulder like, he just had that attitude. And it's so very different from, like, watching him in The Avengers right. or anything like that. He's not – He's that was such a well-portrayed character. And I almost feel like felt like that's just how he was in real life. <laughs> it was so believable. Yeah. Well, before we continue on, I do want to tell the listeners a little bit more about Grammarly here, and then we'll get into some more general discussion about the podcast. But – for you, the listeners of Welcome to Geekdom, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. You can use the software to help you communicate more effectively. 
anytime you are writing on the web, whether it's in Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or wherever else you find yourself typing something up, it'll automatically help you correct grammar, fix any spelling errors or anything like that, even, you know, catching contextual errors. So it's certainly very helpful for anyone who writes, especially people like myself and Sean, because we are doing that constantly. But you can download Grammarly today by going to getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash geekdompod to download Grammarly for free. And you don't need a code or anything. You just go right to that link and you can check out the service and see if it works for what you would need it for. So thanks to Grammarly for sponsoring this episode. But now, Sean, I want to just sort of generally discuss the movie instead of, you know, just what it was specifically about, because this movie, it had a budget of 20 million, which isn't a huge budget by any means. You know, we like you mentioned, Avengers, that movie has a ginormous budget just because of all the CGI and everything that has to go into it. But this had a relatively small budget for Hollywood and it made 92.2 million. So it was a huge success in theaters. And it's not the typical kind of movie you'd think of as, you know, being really successful because it's not necessarily a happy movie. You know what I mean? It's something that is tackling a tough subject matter and it's a very serious movie. You're not going to be getting these jokes here and there just to lighten the mood because this is something that you don't really joke about at all by any means. Yeah, and it's definitely it's definitely shot in that manner. And they take the different sequences of the film, like even the small little um, part where Resendez is in his little shithole apartment and then um, John Slattery's character comes in and he's like, oh my God, you're still living here? Like, when are you going to fix this up? It's like, it's a kind of an off joke, but that has nothing to do with the story. So we're not brought in this like, bullshit like emotional oh yeah I'm in a bad situation with my wife like no this is all about him as a writer and what he's doing as a writer and so this is his life this is his life so I thought that was very interesting whereas again Rachel McAdams character has her grandmother that still goes to church every Sunday and like four times a week if I remember it's like Wednesday through Sunday and she's you see her kind of pull out from that and be like I couldn't even go to church so they don't try to make it pretty. And they even have that scene where Rachel McAdams finds one of the priests and he's just so delusional and he admits it in his own like childish way. And it's, it's very, very like gut wrenching. Like I almost felt horrible after the end of the movie, just like, no way, you know? I'm glad you mentioned that with Rachel McAdams character, who is Sasha she really struggles with this because, you know, she sees her grandmother going to church and she would go with her and take care of her. And, you know, from a personal aspect, it's just something she finds very, very difficult to do now. And it's extremely reasonable for anyone on the spotlight team to feel that way because, you know, they are uncovering all of this stuff that, you know, no one wants to be true, but unfortunately it is about the church and everything. So, you know, they are suddenly having all of these 
emotions about it that they probably didn't even think about before. And, you know, they are talking to one of the victims who started SNAP, which is the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. And, you know, they talk about how they were all religious at one point and now it's kind of like yeah no thank you sort of thing you know they've shied away from it a bunch yeah and that's definitely uh something brought up just over and over it seems like everyone remembers them being kids and having you know the pastors at their school like i'm pretty sure michael keaton and john slattery um both went to high school together and they were there and they remember it they remember being there they remember going and following the pastor's rules and all that and then as they got older they kind of had fallen out so it kind of like they had no reason for this to be on their radar which is why it was so i don't know like disgusting because it's just like these people get up like grow up sometimes they don't go back to church and then this is still happening and it's, there's no way they're ever going to know unless something like this happens so it's why it was such a well-done movie all the characters have their own different unique qualities. And they even brought, um, I'm not, I'm not going to say the middle name, but Brian James, who's the other and last member of Spotlight, he has kids and he finds out that one of the um, homes where they send priests who have been like doing too much wrong is a kitty corner away right. from him. So then he takes a picture of it and puts it on his fridge and he says, stay away. And it's, it's like, you can't even imagine the anger but you can see it and you can see the urgency on the character and that's why the movie was so good like they didn't have to straight up tell you oh yeah like i'm so angry i want to punch him it's like no he's just so angry and disgusted he made a note on the fridge that's so good yeah plus you have robbie who is michael keaton's character and he realizes that he had written a story about you know this topic quite a while ago and they just never followed through with it because you have Marty Baron, who is Leo Schreiber's character. He's coming in and like, well, where was all the coverage on this? And they certainly had covered it here and there throughout the years, but no one ever did a deep dive into it with Spotlight. And, you know, obviously all of the members of Spotlight weren't always on Spotlight. They were at various other sections of the paper before so you have it on that level too where there's some sort of guilt in Robbie for not following this up sooner than they did and even just the weight of starting to investigate this and then having 9-11 happen right in the middle of their investigation you know I can't imagine what that team felt because what they were investigating was already so heavy and then to be in Boston and have 9-11 happen, which, you know, Boston isn't too terribly far from New York. I believe it's only maybe four hours or so if you're driving there. So it's one of those things where they were so close to this other big event that happened that was tragic. Yeah. And that that definitely like almost brought my like emotions down because I didn't really exactly know about the story beforehand. So I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, no way this is going to go. Like, I was almost pulled into a misdirect. I was like, man, they're just going to pull up 9-11 and do like an end title card and be like, they just uncovered this many priests, but it never got to go public. And I was sad. But then the story comes back and they're like, all right, 
we're ready to handle this. The American people may not be ready to handle this, but this needs to come out. And voila. <laughs> it was uh, very well done. And it drove um, Michael Resendez, who's Mark Ruffalo, crazy. Right. Because he was like, why are we sitting on this? Like, he almost fought <laughs> Robbie because he wanted, he was like, this needs to go out right now. And it's just, you can't argue with that. So it was good to see, like, even then, the Boston Globe put the people in front of its own, you know, story. They were like, all right, we need to make sure that America is okay first. We need to make sure that everything has, like, calmed down from that before we bring this out. Yeah, and because of that waiting period where they were, you know, forced to deprioritize it and focus on 9-11 instead, which, you know, it's understandable because 9-11 was such a huge tragedy and, you know... what Spotlight was investigating with the priest was something that had been going on for a while. And while it was still a tragedy, it wasn't as, you know, imminent as 9-11 was as soon as that happened, because the whole country basically just stopped when 9-11 happened. And everyone was talking about that. And it's one of those things where, unfortunately, you have to pick one tragic event over the other for a you know, a short period of time or, you know, however long it ended up being. I believe it was close to six months before they ended up resuming and publishing their findings on the church. Yep. It's about it's about five. Okay. It, it was released in uh, January of 2002, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So they had spent months upon months working on the story and then to have to put that on hold, all of that work that they had all been doing, I can imagine that, you know, it would be really frustrating. And I wasn't surprised one bit that it was Mark Ruffalo's character, Michael, who really wanted to fight to keep the story going. And, you know, it just shows how passionate the spotlight team is about their stories. Definitely. And it was, uh, it was also interesting about the seeing, you know, Robbie be so passionate about it and be kind of an asshole to his former colleagues about it, like especially the uh, attorney that was settling um, cases against priests in back rooms yeah. like over money. He was so in, like irate with him. And then his attorney friend was like, yeah, well, where were you? And walks away. And then so Robbie's, or Rob, not Robbie's, yeah, Robbie's closest friend, um, I have no idea who, it might have been Jamie Sheridan yes. who might have played him, but his closest friend like that he had had through all the years, went to school together, went through all of this. He needed his word before he could get anything because he wanted to make sure that they had the correct story because this guy had been working with the church as an attorney for years and he like kicks him out of his house. He's like, where were you? Like we, this was brought up many times and you didn't care. So it was just this very different dynamic. It's like, well, what are we supposed to do now? And that's kind of what's happening in the entertainment industry. It's like, People have known about this, but now that it's being brought up, I think there's like a better conversation and look right. at it rather than like hiding it behind. And I think the church was arguably a little bit worse because they were hiding it in back rooms with attorneys and money deals. So it's and we definitely don't know what happens in the entertainment industry all the time. But this one has been you know, publicized. Right. And Jamie Sheridan played Jim Sullivan, who was the friend of Robbie and you know, Robbie is reasonably pissed with him because he 
was doing that. But then, you know, his point was, oh, I was just doing my job. And, you know, for lawyers especially, there's always this big ethical line. And some lawyers definitely cross it way too far. And in my opinion, that's certainly what happened with these lawyers helping the church cover all of this up because, you know, it's kind of crazy how much the church can get away with because they just, you know, have this religion that they can use as their excuse for things. And, you know, I know plenty of people who are religious, so it's not something that's, you know, like rampant with every single person who's religious, but the church notoriously has a lot of problems like this come up and then they always try to bury it. Yeah. And that was, that was another thing that was brought up in the movie, even by like people that they were talking to about it. They were just like, why are you doing this? Like people need the church. And it's, it's like, well, what if this is still going on? That was kind of the, the pinpoint argument was like, yeah, people need the church, but they don't need this kind of church or they don't need these priests representing the church. Because again, it's only 6%. It's not like the entire Catholic church was involved per se in molesting kids, but they were involved in hiding it and keeping it away from the general public this way. So it's one of those, they're completely wrong but they're not all at fault, but they're still all at fault. (laughs) And the people who are attending these churches and are familiar with these priests, it's also something they just don't want to believe. So then they sort of just will themselves to not believe it because, oh, you know, our priest would never do that sort of thing. And this film does an excellent job of just tackling that and showing these people, no, this is what they did, and this is how long they have been doing it. But one character we haven't talked about too much here is Mitchell Garabedian, and he's the lawyer who is working with all of the victims. And, you know, he is certainly in over his head because there are so many victims in this case, and he's only one lawyer. So when he has Michael pestering him, for information and for, you know, a specific set of documents that haven't been made public. It's something where you can see he is the lawyer who's trying to do the right thing here, but it's just so hard for one person to tackle this on their own. And I think if Spotlight didn't have him and he didn't have Spotlight, this story might not have ended up the way it did. Completely. And uh, Mitchell Garabedian in real life is a highly respected um, attorney for people that have suffered sexual abuse and even went on to be president with the um, Kevin Spacey molestation that happened in 2017. So I think that from day one, Garabedian was shown as always doing the right thing. But he was so reserved about talking to Michael because he's like, why the fuck do you guys care? This has been happening for years. Like, why do you care now? Like, what do you want? And like, he, he almost felt like it was just going to be like a joke or like a mimic story. He didn't really want to like be like, yeah, this is what I do. He didn't want someone else to think he was crazy for representing these people against the church because it's the church. Like how, who's going to win that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And he definitely takes some wearing down in order to even start to work with Michael on it because, you know, like you said, 
Michael isn't the most sociable person, <laughs> so he's very blunt about everything. And the way he just asks questions, it can come off as sort of this unintended brashness and you know he just wants to find the truth so michael definitely has you know good intentions but it's just the way he comes across doesn't always work out so well for him because he's trying to get these people to understand why he's doing something but instead it just comes off as him wanting something from them and them getting nothing from him in return yeah and it's uh it's definitely interesting. I think there was definitely a really heavy tension on the first person that Michael interviewed and Garabedian was like, you don't use his name and that's it. Like his name's not going to go out into the public because it was almost harmful to have your name against the church. And then you just see during that interview, that character is like, you know what? Fuck it. Put my name on that. They deserve this. And so that was like the change. Like you could really sense that there was like a betrayal from something that you were so young and taught to believe in so i think that was a really good portrayal of it and even garrett beating himself was like wait what <laughs> so i think that kind of shifted the whole tone of the movie to this very almost like crime detective story it was that that moment was really well done yeah well is there anything specific about the movie that you still want to discuss because what i want to discuss at the end here is sort of just the idea of investigative journalism in a broader sense. Yeah, no, that's that's all I have to say. Okay, so when I was watching this, you know, it was one of those things where even though I write about, you know, like I said, music, comics, film, TV, and more pop culture things, it's one of those movies that sort of makes you wish this was what you did in journalism, at least for me, like I said. And because I also read quite a bit of true crime and everything like that it's definitely a story that piqued my interest once I knew what it was about and I just want to know if you ever had sort of the same thought with investigative journalism when you were watching this um I think completely and I think in light of how many things have happened in both the music and uh, entertainment industry with sexual assault cases it's almost it's interesting to imagine what it would be like to be, you know, Michael Resendez and just sit there and try to get it out of people. Um, but at the same time, I think that for this case specifically, the journalism style was so different because this was a church that had a lot of money and had a lot of a repu like had a big reputation. So I think talking about this is uh, and bringing forth this problem was almost unheard of, A, but B, it's different than it is now. And so I can look at, you know, 2018 when we're talking about this and say that if I wanted to go into and really dissect and get out how bad Hollywood is, it'd be a much different thing because these are people rather than like an right. institution you're attacking. You know, like you could say you're attacking Hollywood, but really you're finding people like Hollywood's not going to shut down. The church isn't going to shut down, but the church can like get reprimanded. And I'm pretty sure they had to pay a lot of um, plaintiffs and right. stuff once the settlement was reached. And it's not like you're going to get money from Hollywood, you know? So it's a different style of investigative journalism between sexual assault, because I feel like 
even in musicians cases, like a lot of people um, rightly focus more on the victims and say, all right, this person has been outed. Now let's not talk about them. And that's that. So it's almost not really like too much journalism. It's more like a public statement and then it's over. Yeah. And the thing with Hollywood, too, is it's Hollywood against Hollywood. It's not, you know, Hollywood against your everyday people like it was with the church. You know, these were just kids who happened to go to that specific church and know that specific priest. And it's one of those things where when you have this institution against just the general public, you're going to get a much different way that they go about things. Because when it's people in Hollywood calling out other people in Hollywood, it's more so, you know, Hollywood's kind of imploding, whereas the church wasn't imploding. The church was, you know, the one hiding all of this stuff. So they were, you know, going behind everyone's back and just, you know, moving these people to different cities like, oh, you know, we'll just get them out of here and everything will be fine when that's certainly not the case. But with Hollywood, getting those people out of Hollywood is going to do a lot of good for Hollywood. Right. And they're going to, once, you know, once they've been outed, like that's that almost, you know, there's not really like a, there's not really much more for going into and investigating it. It's not, it seems that it's, it's a different style with again, the church in Hollywood, but I'm never going to go look into like, you know, the person that um, Jesse Lacey had um, been called out from, she apparently had like documents on her computer that proved like all this stuff right. that he had done. And it's not like, you know, I'm not in any power to be like, well, prove it to me and then we can write a story about it because it's already it's right. already over. Like the band has called it quits and they quit touring and then there was a pretty horrible public statement. But, you know, it had been acknowledged that there was a problem, but we don't need to bring out like any more embarrassment to the person. So that's and that was the other thing that was really brought up in Spotlight and that it's kind of hard to think about doing investigative journalism is just seeing these people so embarrassed and so hurt and then not feeling like Michael and just wanting to rip someone's eyes out. It's, and even like today, every single day, like you hear of someone and you just get kind of sad and angry, like the whole Michigan state thing. I would love to be a journalist in that because that thing seemed to go so much deeper than the Catholic church right now. And that was just a college. So it's, uh, it's different depending on who it is. But like for Michigan State, it's kind of exactly like this church situation. They've been hiding things for years and people quit working there because they knew. So it's, it's tough. And it's like that father of the Michigan State that went after Nasser in court. Like he was so pissed that his daughters got violated. He tried to right. like punch him. So it's definitely something I've thought. It's like, wow, oh, that'd be cool to be like leading the charge and trying to investigate that. But at the same time, it'd be like how much with that way on you, you know, like it already seemed like spotlight took a lot out of Michael's life. And then he was sitting there in the church. It's like, how difficult would it be to do that style of journalism? Yeah. And it's sort of similar to, you know, shows like law and order SVU that tackle these subjects and they, you know, they do base some stuff off of true stories because, as many episodes as there have been of SVU, it's kind of hard to just keep making things up that actually haven't happened to someone in real life. And it's one of those topics where if that was what your life was like, it's definitely you're, you're doing good work, but it's very, very 
draining work at the same time. And I imagine that's what it's like being on the spotlight team. And I was actually interested to know how many other papers had a group like spotlight doing that sort of investigative journalism, because, you know, we see it in a lot more different ways now, because I am listening, for instance, to this podcast called Atlanta Monster. Okay. And they're investigating the Atlanta child murders in podcast form. So investigative journalism has certainly taken on new forms in recent years. You know, early 2000s, Twitter wasn't as big as it is now. Same with Facebook and all of these other social media platforms. And podcasts surely weren't as big as they are now. So these investigative journalists have a bunch of different ways to get their story out now. And with the decline of newspapers, too, that doesn't help them any either because then you know there's not as much money to go around to have a group like spotlight at every big publication probably but you still want people investigating these topics even though you know the news goes by so quickly these days yeah and it's definitely more tough too as you mentioned money like a lot of i feel like a lot of podcasters if you know they're not if they have another job like this is just their second job that they're doing just to because they want to unearth these kind of horrible stories. So it's definitely different. And then, you know, with a bunch of different sites and uh, magazines firing their staff, it's definitely seeming like it's just so different to really have, you know, three months to investigate something. Because, you know, you need every single stupid thing to put as a headline now. And then if you messed up, you just go back and, you know, apologize and redo it. And so it's a very different style of journalism now, of course, but. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion today on Spotlight. So I'm going to try a little bit of a different ending here than usual, because I noticed that I end misaligned and this podcast the same exact way. So anyone who listens to both of my podcasts is probably very familiar with how I end the show, but I just want to let you all know that you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Geekdom Pod. We have a Facebook page. I recently made an Instagram for the podcast as well, so you can follow that at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. And if you guys want to support the show in any way, we have it so that you can donate to Square Cash. You can put in whatever amount you want or just spread the word. You know, I'm always hoping that more people will listen to this podcast. So if you just want to spread the word, tell some friends about the show, that would be a big help. And as always, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day.